This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to The Property Show, our weekly take on all things property related, and I'm Philip C. It's the last Friday of the month, and as usual, Chris Tan of Chur Associates is our guest for the Property Legal Clinic. Welcome to The Property Show, Chris Tan, and thank you so much for joining us today. Let's just go straight to the questions. We have one question here from Andrew. Now, his question was this, right? I just bought a residential property, and he's wondering whether he can claim for liquidated ascertained damages or LED throughout the MCO period. Okay, first of all, let's let's make a, a very important uh, clarification. Uh, LED means liquidated ascertainable uh, damages. Basically, mainly it's for late delivery. All right. The pretext of the question, I would say that you know, for the residential, the pretext of the question also uh, basis on the on the point that uh, uh, that they will be delayed as a result of the MCO, right? And yes. therefore, you can say LAD means that delayed delivery issue. So for example, if they are due to take the delivery by next April, let's say, all right? So now because of MCO 1, 2, and 3 or whatever, because the stop work order construction impacted everything else, probably he will probably get it one year later, for example. Correct. If it's one year later, then, then we talk about LAD here. So in that context, we need to set down what exactly is the available remedy for this uh, person uh, who, who wrote in and asked you this question, right? So the question, the answer is that this, there's this thing uh, last year, we have passed the COVID-19 Act, mm. right? 2020. So the COVID-19 Act uh, did actually make some provision as far as any uh, home buyer is concerned. If you are a home buyer, if you sign an agreement under the schedule GHI or J uh, of the uh, Housing Development Act, which is a standard agreement prescribed for a residential home, right? Then you are accorded with some form of protection in relation to this, right? So in in a very in a very simple answer, can we claim liquidated damage during MCO one two three? Right? The answer is yes. If it impact you. Yes or not? Because notwithstanding MCO 1, 2, and 3, it could be still delivery before April uh, 2020, uh, 2021 next year, for example, the, the example that I've given, right? So therefore, you have nothing to claim, right? The thing is that if really it is gone beyond the supposedly the deadline to deliver, if there's a late delivery, obviously you can claim, obviously. Now is that whether the COVID-19 Act passed in 2020 allowed you any allowance, right? So... To put it very simple, it actually excludes the period of 18 March 2020 to 31st of August 2020. So entire oh. this period of time is added on. Supposingly, if I'm supposed to deliver the property to you within 24 months or 36 months, either way, correct? Because 24 months, if you're buying a landed property, yep. right? If you buy a high rise, it's 36 months. Correct. So either way, there will be add-on of uh, this period. So to say that, let's say if they are late by um, the within the this period of time, let's say they're late by two months. Correct. So to me, it is covered. It's not late sure. because it's accordingly extended. Yeah. Well, that bill is you said March to August twenty twenty. So that's about five months. But now we're entering MCO three, where the, the period is extended. What happens if it's past five months then? 
Okay, let me put it this way. Under the Act, it's only it, there's no contemplation. The Act is past 2020. There's no contemplation of what is MCO 3.0 that we are facing. Correct. So I'm saying to you that as far as they are concerned, they say that you know uh, the developer may ask for the exemption and write to the minister for the period prescribed just now, which is the 18 March 2020 on the until 31st August 2020. That's a given, right? And if you can prove further. Uh, evidence that you know you are impacted by the whole thing. The developer may even extend up to thirty first December twenty twenty. Another four months. Ooh, another so four months. Because nine months lah in total. Correct. For example, it can happen, right? But then again, that one is not as of right. That one is as per the minister discretion, right? Uh, the first one is more like already granted in the act. Right. So as far as that's concerned, uh, if you talk about any other impact that you can face beyond those time frames just now, which is 18 Mar March mm. 2020 to 31st August, and subsequently even possible for you to extend to 31st December 2020, right? But any period beyond that, uh, it is not provided under the COVID-19 Act. So then my question is, let's say, um, are there any pathways then for buyers to make these claims? The pathway to make this claim is very simple. First of all, the buyer to make this claim has to happen in this in this format, in the sense that procedure-wise, first of all, there must be a late delivery. Mm. Okay, which means that uh, you can't even ascertain how much is your claim until you actually get the key. <laughs> yes or not? Right? Presumably, let's say I say next April is the date that you're supposed to get your key, going back to the same example, correct? So by the time April, right? Yes, you're supposed to get a key. You don't get, right? By May, you also didn't get, right? Yes, mm. you already have a cause of action, but the thing is that you cannot uh, calculate how much you are claiming yet, right? So the next question is that it's only, let's say you, you eventually get it in November next year it's instead of uh, April, right? Yep. It's only in November you can ascertain the damage that you have. Then the question is that whether those dates are being extended pursuant to the Act by virtue of the application by the developer to the minister and whether the minister granted anything further uh, to cover also the period up to potentially 31st December 2020. And, you know, th th this point about case is very interesting and I want to get your subtle nuance here, right? The difference yep. between when they issue a notice for vacant possession, they've given you the keys, but the certification for completion and compliance is not yet ready. What happens then? Okay, there, there's no such thing as... Uh, first of all, if you, you need your CCC right, to be ready in order to give vacant possession. Ah. Right? There's no way that I can give a notice without it. So first of all, then, which means the notice for vacant possession is defective not, anyway. Not, not applicable. Uh, not applicable in that mm. sense. So so there is also an issue here. If you want to bring out a link up link <laughs> issue is here, it's very simple, right? The question is that now, can you get physical possession? There's also an issue because of the distance that you can't travel. I could be an investor from Absolutely. Uh, Penang, right? Yep. I want to take delivery or something in Subang Jaya. I can't travel. For example, right? Of course, today we have a different scenario of you know multiple vaccine, whatever lah, that kind of yeah. thing. But I'm just saying that they will be restrained in that. But under the the act is also very clear. Not under, under housing development act in the contract that you sign, there's such thing called dim develop dim delivery, right? Dim delivery. So the dim delivery basically is the, you know, after the notice after thirty days, if you don't come, right? Uh, uh, then then you have an issue. Uh, then it means that it's already passed the key to you, for example. There's a deemed delivery provision in the schedule. So to me, that's not the key issue, but there's also an issue there that you need to address. 
But just to answer that, can we claim liquidated damages during MCO 1, 2, and 3? The answer is yes, there's no prohibition. It's a question of whether, uh, what period can you claim and whether the law or the act allow certain allowance for the developer. And, you know, thanks for that. I guess the question here is, Andrew's question was framed around residential. Maybe, Chris, can you crystallize and compare and contrast the difference between that and maybe corporate and commercial properties? Okay, so we're talking about a non-residential property. Okay, let's put it this way. Because all residential property is actually uh, incorporated uh, and governed under the Housing Development Act per se, correct? So if that's the case, uh, as the Housing Development Act provides, and it's actually specifically mentioned under the COVID-19 Act to give certain leeway under that, the same leeway is not given in commercial uh, or non-residential development. In that sense, because non-residential development is not a regulated activity. Mm. It is not under Minister of Housing per se, correct? And as far as it's concerned, it is a, a separately drafted uh, agreement between the developer and the purchaser. So therefore, we have to look at the drafting of the uh, agreement. Uh, talk about force majeure clause, right? Allow any suspension and whatnot and see whether we can find anything there. But other than that, uh, it will be have to be dealt with on a case-to-case basis. All right. We'll have more of your questions and answers from Chris after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and I have Chris Tan here with me for the monthly property legal clinic that takes place on the last Friday of the month. Now, Chris, I have this burning question from Mooney, okay, which is, I bought a property pre-pandemic but I'm worried about whether my developer has the financial war chest to complete the development. If the property developer opts for liquidation over MCO, what happens to my property? Okay, uh, what happened to your property purchase in the sense in the sense that uh, it's yet to deliver to you? I think, is that the question? Yes, that's right. I think so, right? Correct. So the for all intended purposes, the, the developer in relation to this, first of all, uh, opt for liquidation it means that they have to do for volunteer liquidation, right? When they opt for liquidation, if it's not a distressed one, uh, where it's forced, uh, there's two type liquidation, right? They have to go through uh, and prove the crop that they can finish the obligation that they could do. So part of it is this liquidation. Uh, the, 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 the duty and responsibility and the contractual responsibility to complete the property uh, purchased by money, yes or not? Mm. So the whole idea is this, even if there's a liquidation happen, and even if the liquidator is actually appointed, and even if the court have sanctioned for this voluntary liquidation, there's a need for the liquidator to continue to perform the delivery of the, of the project before the company can be properly wound up, right, in that sense. So as far as this concerned, there will be a, 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 a liquidator being appointed by the court to be the liquidator, right? To take over the housing developer. Therefore, the housing development role will be performed by a liquidator, right? And then uh, to act and all the matter on the matter and using whatever watches they have balance, mm. Uh, mm. right, to do. But if, uh, let's say, there's not enough money to finish, right, the project will still be hanged in a sense. You know why? Because very simple, the liquidator is not there to continue the business uh, by, by make sure that they can still borrow money and whatnot. They're just using whatever resources that the current property developer have, right? The asset and liability manage them and continue the obligation the best they can. 
So let's just run the scenario that there is a liquidator in place. You know, can I ask you, Chris, is there any regulation on how they conduct themselves and the fees that they impose then? Yeah, yeah. They are regulation in relation to that. So the liquidator basically will do a job. Uh, One of the key things when the liquidation happens is to to list out what are the assets, to list out what are the liabilities, what are the continuous obligations, right? Of course, they have to have a character meeting, right, in that sense. Uh, so 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 like I said, they were they are regulated profession. They are regulated properly. Liquidator that cannot simply do what they want, right? They have a guideline, right? Mostly they are uh, they are pro- pro- practicing professional, so they just have to do the whole thing. But the thing is that they will not go beyond. So whatever that's required to do, if it's stuck, they are still stuck. Mm. In that sense, uh, if the resources limited, they are stuck. They are still stuck. Right. So I'm saying to you, if those things that happen and we're talking about a residential development that's regulated by the HDA and whatnot, for example, obviously the relevant developer will be blacklisted as well, which means they cannot do any other thing as well. Right. And then for all intent and purposes, uh, 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 then we have to see whether there will be any rescue mission or whatever that come after that. Now, hopefully, if the liquidators they still complete the job, that will be the best. All right, thanks. And we'll shift to another question, uh, Chris. A question by Anonymous, right? Before sure. handling over the keys of the property, can the bank buy fire insurance for the owner when the developer is willing to arrange for master fire insurance for the whole condo? Okay. In most cases, uh, one of the terms and conditions stated in the loan security documentation is that the bank is authorized to debit all expenses pertaining to the payment or any or insurance premium for the uh, from the borrowing uh, from the borrower's account, right? Which means the purchaser, if the property not adequately insured or not insured by the management, in that sense, right? So what it means is that uh, it's normally the bank do have the right to do it, right? So I'm saying to you is that uh, it depends of what are the authority given and what did you do and but. Mind you, a very simple thing about this insurance and audit is important to protect the interest of the bank because the security is uh, at stake, right? Which is the property itself. The next question is also because if if the bank really want to uh, uh, go and incur these things, which means the exposure to the borrower also become higher, the loan become higher, isn't it? Mm. Right? So again, uh, it depends on what is permitted and what is the uh, commercial decision of the bank as well. And we'll shift to another question, a question from Anne, right? You know, and, yep. and this is an MCO-related question again, right? Yep, because yep. as we know, the land office is closed, you know. Uh-huh. Would I get penalized uh, for delays in transfer? Okay. So the imposition of penalty on late submission of transfer instrument, uh, basically is like this. Any transfer instrument, if you sign the MOT, the memorandum of transfer, right? Uh, if you date it, you have to present it on certain date. Right, and if you don't do it uh, on a certain date, there will be then late presentation and whatnot. So the easier way out is very simple. Uh, see if you can sign it again and use a different date, then you avoid this question already, right? Mm. If at all, if the land office is though, right? That will be one. Of course, the other one is that even if you cannot, let's say you cannot, right? There are different practices of certain land office that actually provide for exemption for penalty for late submission due to the closure of the land office during the MCO period. For example, uh, to submit the relevant instrument to the land office within seven days upon the expiry of the MCO period, that will be one of the examples that said, that, okay, la, fine, if you have MCO, you cannot open, fine, you can do it within seven days. They, they probably have policy, right? You are advised to check with the relevant land office 
for the latest guideline. Like I said, land office, every locality have different policy. And in your view, especially focusing on Klang Valley and Slango, what has been the policy like for all these exemptions? Huh? I think even when you see Klang Valley, there is Slango, there is KL, right? Yeah. Right. Right. So I'm saying to you that because uh, you have to understand land is a state matter, right? Therefore, the state do have a, the, a way of dealing with it. And therefore, uh, it's very hard to tell. Right, it'll be very practices. But like I said, you know, it's not like the only way is to negotiate with the land office. I'm sure uh, the authority are reasonable, right? There will be policy that's favorable to find out. That's why I said check from the applicable land authority. And I think it's important also think that there is a way to also work out with the other party, probably a way to resign or redate the document. All right. Um, just one last question. This one is a bit controversial um, sure. from uh, John. <laughs> Can sure. I sue my bank for charging me interest over MCO because of force majeure? Okay, for can you can you sue my bank for charging me? Oh, first of all, first of all, first of all, I think very important. Huh? Yeah. Whoever asked this question is that have you read the force majeure clause <laughs> in the document between you and your bank? Right? Yeah. Between you and your bank. So that's another thing that you, to you is that uh whether what happened uh, during this force measure, whether the interest, whether first of all it's a force measure or not, first yep. of all we cannot say. Number two, right? Even if it's force measure, then we have to say whether it's any provision in relation to the uh, interest. Uh, can it be still incurred or not? All right. And obviously we do have moratorium that is granted by the authority, the Ministry of Finance and whatever that they, they are intervening by saying that we are intervening. We ask for the bank not to impose, right? So what I'm trying to highlight to you is that if you're reading underlying that message, it means that the bank have the right to do it. Yes. But the authority has stepped in and asked them not to do it. Mm. Correct? So yes. I'm just saying that, again, every bank differ. I cannot give an answer. It's simply because every bank have different clause in their documentation. So check your documentation, right? That's your call, isn't it? Correct, yes. Of course, I mean, uh, and most of the time eh, when we see it is a standard printed document, we don't even check how many <laughs> times you see a bank form, you actually read, yeah. and you just say where to sign, right? Yes. Uh, so this is the time that you probably have to consider reading. Well, Chris, that's all the time we have for the monthly Property Legal Clinic today. Thank you so much. Join us again next month as we help you shed more light on your legal conundrums. Send your questions to property at bfm.my or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.